Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and we have a special treat for our audience today with episode 203 here. We have a brand new show, but a, a voice and a person that you're going to know because she's been a great supporter of the show online. We've had her on as a guest, and uh, the dialogue's been so great that um, our newest host with our newest show is going to provide us with a unique perspective on baseball that we just don't have. Um, so... Uh, want to introduce our brand new show and then I'll message to our audience and I'll turn it over to our, our new host here. But uh, this is going to be our new show called A Date in October with KFT. And uh, Kelly, welcome to your show. I'm going to give a special recognition to our audience, but I want to welcome you to your show right now um, and, and wish you luck today. Well, thanks, Dave. I'm so excited to be here for the premiere of my podcast, A Date in October. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. And before we go, we're going to have, it's a different format than some of our other shows, but um, before I talk to you, just share a little bit about what your show is going to be, be about. Sure. Today, I'm going to look at insurance on MLB contracts and how it works because we had some situations go down last week where we had some high profile players and it turns out the clubs didn't have insurance on them. And going forward on my show generally, what I like to do is I like to look at baseball through the transactional or legal lens because I am an attorney of about 27 years and I sometimes veer into the nostalgic. Yeah. And um, and I want I want you to share a little bit more about yourself uh, as well. You you've been a guest lecturer. Our, our audience knows because they've heard you on our show. But you've been a guest lecturer at the Hall of Fame as well. Share a tiny bit before I talk to our audience um, about what you did there. Oh, I loved being up at the Hall of Fame. What I did is I designed a class on baseball that taught the novice fan how to watch, appreciate, and understand a baseball game. Because I always thought. Sometimes if you want to watch baseball, but you really know nothing about the game, you need a place to go where you can learn it in an hour. And the presentation was so successful. I received the great honor of presenting up at the Hall of Fame. And what I do currently is I am on social media under my handle at 3inningfan on Twitter and Instagram. And I make one minute to two minute videos that explore some aspect of the game. So if fans want to learn something pithy about the game in 90 seconds, they can just check into my weekly videos. And I encourage that. I, I know, well, you know, because I, I like and, and retweet it um, each time, or if it's on Instagram, the same thing, but great information. It's always current and it's always from a unique lens that, you know, most baseball fans don't see it from. And your legal expertise is, is very important to that lens too. So um, with, with that, I would just want to talk to our audience here, very intelligent audience. We have, they love when we challenge them, but want to thank them. We're close to 19,000 subscribers now. Want to try to get up to 20 by the end of the week. Make sure you download, listen, like subscribe, rate and review. The rate and review allows us to battle the analytics of the podcast world, just like we do in baseball. Um, if you do that, we can keep providing you great content every week. Like we're going to do with this show at date in October with KFT, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. That's where you can stream us. Hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. I answer one question live every day. I get back to everybody privately on Facebook. We had over 400 questions this morning, so I got my work cut out for me after 
five podcasts in a row today we're recording. So um, we are in 72 countries now, grassroots to MLB front offices. We're just trying to build a better baseball IQ out there. And I do read a disclaimer. Our audience made this up for me, so I appreciate it. They said, make sure you let new audience members know to prepare to embrace for the uncomfortable truths about baseball sometimes and may carry over into life as this program has no time for the comforting lies that may be spread out there in baseball. So with that, um, Kelly, want to want to allow you to kind of jump right into your opener. You've got an opener that you you want to uh, hit every show, and uh, I'll turn it over to you for that. Thanks, Dave. I thought I'd start every show with an opener that I'd call Top of the First. And what I wanted to talk about in Top of the First today is Aaron Judge's toe. Now, we've all heard a lot about Aaron Judge's right big toe sprain, but one particular article caught my eye last week. It was by Chris Kirchner in The Athletic, where he spoke with a sports orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Spencer Stein at NYU Langone. And I liked the piece because it gave hints as to Judge's condition and expected recovery. And the reason why I liked this is because the Yankees are notoriously quiet about these things. So this interview with Dr. Spencer Stein threw us some crumbs. Now, as it goes with these types of things, Dr. Stein had not actually treated Judge, but he was speaking from his experience as a sports orthopedic surgeon. So we all want to know, when will Judge be back? And I appreciated Dr. Stein's insight as he told it to Chris Kirchner. Now, Aaron Boone did say that Judge had received a PRP injection and the swelling in the toe had started to diminish. Dr. Stein said that was a good sign that he got the PRP because it normally means the patient has a low-grade injury and not a complete tear of the ligament. Stein said a reasonable plan to return to action would be one to two weeks of no activity, followed by one to two weeks of ramping back up to 100% health. If Judge tries to return too early, he could re-injure it and it could become a nagging or more serious injury requiring surgery. So we're looking at approximately four weeks. I looked at my calendar since the injury happened on June 3rd. That brings us to roughly July 1st. So if you're a New York baseball fan, you're without the two home run hitters. You don't have Pete Alonso. You don't have Aaron Judge until early July. And one more asterisk on Judge's injury, I guess because it's his right foot, his pivot foot, where he puts a lot of pressure when he swings, it could take a little longer than if it were his left foot. Yes. So that was from Chris Kirchner covering the Yankees for The Athletic, and I really do enjoy his pieces. And that's today's Top of the First. And I encourage our audience to follow up on that. We always tell people, don't always take our word for it. Go do your own research on it. So as a New York fan, they, they New York fans can expect to see Judge hopefully July. But as you pointed out, uh, which is a great point with the fact that it's on the right foot and being his pivot foot, as a hitter, that balance is on both big toes. Um, so you try to keep that balance centered on both big toes. So um, that that's kind of his power leg back there. So that'll be interesting to see just how long it takes to come back. So any guesses on your part? Well, I'm hoping early July, but from what I read in this article, before they start to ramp up activity, it's important that there be zero pain in that toe. Yeah. 
And how did he, did he hurt it when he crashed through the wall, making that play in right field? Yes, and it was a spectacular play. Yeah, I was surprised he didn't hurt more than his big toe because he's a, a large man, 6'7", probably 280, and he, he, he glides out there uh, like a wide receiver. And he, he, did, he, he did some damage to that wall. I'm glad he didn't do more damage to his body because that's, that's fortunate it was just a toe. Well, it's true. If you look at the video and you read about the injury, he actually stubbed his toe on the little concrete border on the field level. So he didn't hurt himself crashing through the fence, which is kind of incredible. Yeah. And he, he went through that like like you would see a uh, high school basketball team going through that thin piece of paper before they come out for the opening tip off there to the music. He just went right through that wall. So if anybody's been to a major league park, those walls are hard. Um, so Aaron judge, thank God he just uh, hurt a toe in that. Um, and that, that's going to be a, a usual segment top of the first for Kelly's show. So if you have ideas and thoughts on it, audience, please uh, message Kelly or, or message me. And we could uh, certainly love your input on some things that she can talk about week to week. Uh, now you're, you're the next topic and you, you kind of preset it in the, uh, the intro is about the insurance. We have, we've had two big name pitchers, uh, go down. These, these guys are chasing velocity nowadays. We chronicle it on all our shows, but, and Sal and I brought something about this up last week on his show, but had no answers to it. We we're great at that. We talk about the health, the mental health, the physical health of the athletes, but we started talking about the insurance. So I'm glad you have this as your topic because our audience wants to know DeGrom and Strasburg, you know, huge contracts. Did the clubs purchase insurance? If they do, how does that work? And, um, you know, just kind of kind of talk through that with our, our group here today. Thanks, Dave. And I thought this was a fascinating issue that was in the press last week. And both of these players, DeGrom and Strasburg, were reportedly not insured by their clubs. And I thought this was a topic that maybe a lot of baseball fans don't know about. We all have insurance on our homes, our cars, and our health, but a lot of fans don't realize that MLB clubs insure players' contracts in case they're unable to perform. So it's reported in the press last week that neither the Rangers nor the Nationals had purchased insurance on the tremendously expensive contracts of Strasburg and DeGrom. As an attorney, I deal with insurance policies all the time, and I did drop a video on it on Twitter last week with a quick summary. That was only a minute and a half, so you can check that out at, at Three Inning Fan. But I thought it would be interesting to take a deeper dive into this issue on today's pod. Now, Jake DeGrom signed a five-year, $185 million contract with the Rangers before this season. He's 34 years old. We found out last week that he needed surgery on his ulnar collateral ligament. And it's unclear if he needs traditional Tommy John, or I read it's possible he might need a newer procedure called internal brace. That could mean a slightly quicker return. But either way, he will miss the rest of the season and some of next year. He has an injury history. Every Mets fan can tell you this. This is his second elbow injury. He had Tommy John when he was a prospect with the Mets in 2010. And then he had a major 
injury, a nerve issue in his pitching arm was injured in 2016, and that ended his season in September of that year. And then in July of 2021, DeGrom suffered an elbow injury that also ended that season. He started 2022 out with a right scapula stress fracture that kept him off the field until August of 2022. He left the Mets after the 2022 season. We all saw him sign a very high price contract with the Rangers in the offseason. The Rangers paid so much that Mets fans were shaking their head thinking, you know, oh my gosh, we love Jake DeGrom. And believe me, we all know he's otherworldly when he is on and healthy. But when he signed this contract with the Rangers, we were thinking, wow, that's a big number. And what were the Rangers thinking? Were they watching the same Jake DeGrom that Mets fans were watching? So he signed this contract that is set to run through 2027. Last week during my research, I read that the Dallas Morning News reported that DeGrom's contract was not insured for this first year. They were going to revisit it after this season. And that's the way it goes sometimes. If insurance is really expensive, you roll the dice. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Now, what, what does that mean for the club now? They didn't insure it. So if they, if they had, what benefits would they receive from MLB for that? If they had insured DeGrom's contract, they would likely have gotten partial payment for his salary. Now, when a player signs a contract, the money's guaranteed, right? You have the guaranteed sum. So it gets paid no matter what. So somebody's got to pay it. So either the club pays it or the insurance company pays it if he's insured. Usually under the insurance contracts, and we'll get into this nitty gritty in a little bit, but usually under the insurance contracts, they don't insure 100% of the player's salary. They'll usually insure a portion of it. And that's one of the variables that's negotiated when a club goes to get insurance. Yeah. You would think, obviously, you mentioned his history. He would be a high-risk guy uh, by anybody's standards with uh, arm injuries. The, the interesting part about DeGrom, unlike Strasburg, is DeGrom was not a pitcher when he was drafted. He was a college shortstop, so he did not have that wear and tear like most of these guys do coming through the college ranks. What, where do they stand now with it? What's the, what's the obligation of the Rangers? Uh, what's the obligations for DeGrom? And is there any chance they would get insurance next time, I guess? Well, they're going to have to pay him. And I think now, given that he's going to need probably Tommy John or whatever elbow surgery he's getting, it's going to be even harder to insure him going forward. And you're right, given his injury history, it's unfathomable, really, that the Rangers didn't buy insurance on his contract. I had a, my late great Aunt Vivian always used to say 50,000 Frenchmen can't be wrong. I don't know where that expression came from. It, it was an old timey expression. But I thought of that. I thought, you know, 50 million Mets fans can't be wrong either. They all knew a club needed insurance on DeGrom just by watching him for all these years. So it looks like what probably happened was that the premiums were very high. So the Rangers rolled the dice on it. Now, did we know he was going to need Tommy John? No, but it's not a surprise. 
And I'm sure that the Rangers aren't really surprised either. But it's a good reminder that these clubs financially are able to roll the dice on millions of dollars like you or I might roll the dice on $5. And they rolled the dice on DeGrom and they lost. And it's also worth noting that even though they gave DeGrom a very large contract and didn't insure it. And that did not turn out well. They did do well in the off season. They had a strong off season. They're in first place. Nate Eovaldi's having a great season and he's actually a two elbow surgery guy and they're doing really well. Yeah. And I like the hire with Bruce Bochy. He's, he's one of my favorite skippers in MLB did a great job up in San Francisco the, yeah, the, the money part, as you, you described, the millions to $5, I, I think that's a great parallel to, to regular people. The, the part that I'm just baffled by, and I'm not sure either you or I can answer this, but I'll throw it out anyway. The people that run baseball organizations are not baseball people. They're financial people. They're money people. So I would think if nothing else, they would get something like this right um, with, with insuring their money. You know, that is such a great point, Dave, because if this were a deal that were happening in the non-baseball world, say the private equity world, can you imagine this deal getting through the investment committee? There was no plan to mitigate the risk. And I think it's fascinating that it works differently in the ball club arena. Yeah. Same people. It's the same people. And my question out, again, another question that feel free to, to take a stab at it, but it's probably more rhetorical and somebody will jump on it with one of our other podcasts, but take a stab. It's there, there has in that room of decision makers, there had to be somebody who objected. Um, I would have to imagine I'm not in there. I don't have information about it with the Grom, but uh, in, in, in your line of work, there's decisions to be made in that room. Some people have to speak up, but I'm, I'm wondering out loud if baseball is just so um, it's groupthink that there, there's no objections anymore, or the ones that do object are too afraid to speak out loud because they'll be marginalized. I think yes to both of those. When you're a leader, it's important to surround yourself with people who don't agree with you all the time. Maybe we need more of that. Yeah, I got a bunch in my house I can lend out if, if people want to borrow a couple. So, the, um, no, I, I agree with that. Now, on the Strasburg situation, um, you know, we, he had, going back in time, he was shut down. And that was, I mean, people barked at that loudly. He was shut down when he was younger, uh, going into a playoff run. And organization, he said he was done. Now, fortunate for him, he got an opportunity to win a, a world championship with Washington. But you know, here we go again with him with questionable mechanics. He's got that chicken wing elbows to the sky delivery. He's a long athletic guy where there's a lot of moving parts, but once again, an astronomical salary, they chose to invest in him. Um, how, how is the situation with him same or different than DeGrom? Well, you're great at addressing the mechanics of it. And that's something that's clearly your bailiwick. But if I can look at the financial aspect of it, He did sign, Steven Strasburg did sign this seven-year, $245 million contract before the 2020 season. So he was set to go through 2026. And just quick primer for your listeners, they probably already know, he's a 34-year-old right-hander. He currently hasn't pitched in MLB since June of 2022. 
He had thoracic outlet surgery in 2021 and carpal tunnel surgery in 2020. And he is now suffering complications described last week as severe nerve damage. Jesse Doherty of the Washington Post wrote a comprehensive piece on Strasburg's contract last week. Apparently, there's no sign of him pitching soon. He's currently on the 60-day IL, and the plan is that he continue to rest and see if he can make another run at an unspecified time. It's a sad situation. And Jesse Doherty had sources in this piece, forged sources, I think, indicating that the Nationals did not have any insurance on Strasburg's contract. He reported that management considered the premiums too high. So we have a similar situation as we did with DeGrom, a tremendously expensive contract, and the club didn't buy the insurance. I'm, I'm wondering, I mean, I'm taking a look at the yearly breakdown and the overall salaries. I can't imagine what would be too expensive, um, what would be considered too expensive based on what they're paying these guys. I liken it to draw a lot of life parallels here, but I wouldn't buy a million dollar beach home in a hurricane alley and not put insurance on it. It, it sounds crazy that you think you're going to keep your home. Um, I'm just wondering out loud, what, what's too expensive when you're paying, you know, paying their, it looks like they're going to be paying, what, $25 million an inning uh, for DeGrom, maybe more, based on what he's he's put out this year. Right, he's only pitched 30 just, innings this year. Yeah. Um, and so that is actually a great lead-in into talking about how the insurance on ball players works, because the premium issue is the main issue. And then there are some other variables. And I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall and know what the actual premiums were that the insurance companies wanted for to insure either Strasburg or DeGrom. But the premiums aren't the only issue that needs to be considered. So if it's a good time, we'll go into kind of the nitty gritty on how yeah. the insurance policies work. Yeah, absolutely. Go right ahead. Great. Thanks. So again, as an attorney, I deal with insurance policies all the time. And so the first question is, what is it? So if a club signing a player and they're concerned about paying the player, if he's injured and not able to perform, they pass the risk off to someone else, an insurance company, so they can recoup their costs if something happens. And the best known player in this space is Lloyd's of London. Now, how the insurance works is if a player's injured, a portion of his salary will be paid by the insurance company if he's insured. It could be paid out in a lump sum. Another form of payment might be an annuity that gets paid out over time. Say the player would get X million dollars a year for X years. That's a structure that insurance companies benefit from because when they do the annuity structure like that, a certain amount of money over a certain amount of years, then the insurance company holds the money and they can make money on holding that money over time. So that's the general idea. So we look at DeGrom and Strasburg not insured and we shake our heads and then we say, why wouldn't a club insure a player? And this is the killer question, especially when we have weeks like we had last week where we learned about these two cases. The Boo birds were out all over Twitter. How could they have not bought the insurance? Well, they should have, okay, especially the Rangers. I think 
if the premiums were that expensive on DeGrom, if they're so expensive that the club didn't want to pay the premiums, it's an indication, in my opinion, that the contract is too expensive or too long. Because if the people who assess risk for a living are walking away from the table, you've got to look at your deal. DeGrom had obvious issues. He had red flags all over him. And Strasburg had his issues too. Although I think that those were maybe less obvious than DeGrom, but they were certainly there. Maybe I think DeGrom is more obvious because I live up here in the New York area and I watched him pitch so much. Yeah. So we had these two high profile cases where the teams made the wrong decision and they rolled the dice and it didn't work out. So the meat of the matter is what's the main reason why they wouldn't buy the insurance? A lot of variables, but like you said, it's the premiums. That's the first issue. Clubs won't insure a contract if the premiums are too expensive. If you have a player like DeGrom who has a significant injury history, the premiums are going to be very, very expensive. Think of it this way. Would you buy life insurance on a 100-year-olds? No. Um, You might really want some money if grandpa kicks the bucket, but you know what? It's just too expensive to do it. So you're going to take a pass. And so the premiums would be the main issue that a club would consider. But there are other variables as well. One is the percentage of the contract covered. If you want to compare this to think about your homeowner's insurance, that's what everyone who has a home has homeowner's insurance. So it's like looking at what the insurer will pay if your home burns down. Will they pay 100% of the cost to rebuild or are they going to pay 80%? Most policies on ball players cover a percentage of the contract, say 60% of what's due the player, but not 100%. There's always some risk on the club's part. Remember that the club always has to pay the player if it's a guaranteed contract. The question is just how much of it the insurance company will absorb. So the first issue is the premiums. And the second variable would be, well, how much of the contract will the insurance company cover? How how much of this, just for for our layman out there, how much of this is similar to regular disability at a workplace? Well, it's very similar because you have the issue of what, if you're disabled, what percentage of your salary will be covered. And so you might have your insurance company or your disability insurance saying, you know what, we'll pay 60% of your disability for two weeks and 40% for two weeks after that. And then after that, you won't have any more. There's no more coverage. Yeah. But of course, in this case, as you pointed out, and our audience knows that, you know, the, the Grom and Strasburg both came with major red flags. So um, hence the the debate on what's what's too much and what's what's not enough for the coverage. So I didn't mean to interrupt. I thought our, I, it was a, it was a question that I had because when I said for layman, I was talking about me too. But uh, I figured some of our audience may have that as well. Well, it's actually a a perfect lead into the last variable, Dave, which are the exclusions. So every insurance contract has exclusions. So if we go back to the homeowner's policy that you might have on your house, it might have an exclusion for 
say damages arising out of mold or out of flooding, the company will pay, won't pay for damages resulting from those occurrences. They might say, oh, we'll pay for fire, but we don't pay for mold. Insurance contracts for ball players have exclusions too. For example, an insurance company might say they won't insure any injury that arises out of a pre-existing injury. So if a pitcher had a prior shoulder condition, further shoulder injuries could be excluded from the insurance policy or specific body parts could be excluded. For example, the insurer might say our proposed policy won't cover any injury on the throwing arm of this pitcher. So that would be an obvious impediment to insuring a pitcher. Sure. Another variable might be that insurance companies might offer to cover injuries to a ball player, but they might exclude injuries that don't occur on the ball field. They might say, well, we're not going to exclude injuries that result from horseback riding, if anyone remembers Ioannis Cespedes, or jumping on trampolines, for those of us who remember Jabba Chamberlain. Yeah. So. People might assume that there's insurance out there that can be purchased for most anything. But in this case, the club and the potential insurer may not even be able to agree on the contents of the policy, much less the price of the premium. And that's why some clubs choose to roll the dice and skip the insurance on certain players. Yeah. I want to get to the World Baseball Classic. I have a question in between now with with the with the insurance, when they're sitting down, and again, you're an attorney, so you you could tell me your perspective. If you were sitting down negotiating a contract with a player and an agent, would you not want the actuaries in that process? You could adjust the salary or the years accordingly based on, you know, whatever they're saying that the premiums will be? Oh, a hundred percent. You would want your contract contingent on being able to find suitable insurance. And if you can't find your suitable insurance, it could sink the deal. Yeah, that's, uh, and again, I was trying to think logically, but a lot of times I get in trouble in baseball when I think logically. So I'm glad to have the backing of an attorney. Right. Got to get off that, Dave. No more logic. That's yeah, I, do. I, usually don't, I usually don't speak it out loud, but I felt comfortable in this podcast where we back it up if it was logical. But, it's um, a logic safe space, Dave. That's it. That's it. So um, how did, and if you, if you, have, if you want to, expound upon more with Strasburg by all means do so but these guys played in the world baseball classic recently which I love and I hope they continue to do it I thought it was exciting I thought uh, it was a different brand of baseball than we see in the regular season a lot of enthusiasm a lot of small ball a lot of hit and runs a lot of hit and cutoffs it was what real baseball should be but that is a baseball activity but in, in my opinion it's obviously extra they're not getting paid for it how how would insurance work in something like that MLB players who were on 40-man rosters of their team were eligible to be insured for the WBC outside the scope of their clubs. And and this is me hypothesizing here, but I think that that was a carrot to the clubs to encourage their players to go play in the WBC because the clubs didn't have to buy the insurance on them. So if the players were injured in the WBC, they would receive their full MLB salary, which their team their team would be in, reimbursed by the insurance company. Edwin Diaz comes to mind. Yeah. 
insurance will reimburse the Mets for his salary. But I agree that all of those players in the WBC had to make it through underwriting, just kind of like us when we get car insurance, you go through underwriting. And it was reported by the LA Times that Clayton Kershaw was deemed uninsurable because he had been prone to injury. He didn't make it through underwriting because he was deemed to have chronic injury. If he had participated in the WBC and been injured, the Dodgers would have been liable for his contract. Kershaw tried to get his own insurance to play in the WBC, but he couldn't. So he wound up not playing in the WBC. Well, see, that's great information because I remember watching the games and I remember the commentators talking about that. It'd been nice to have Clayton Kershaw, but nobody had the punchline to it as to why he wasn't on the roster. They just assumed he either decided not to play or that uh, they didn't select him. But that, that's uh, that's the first time I've heard that. So that's a great, great tidbit of info. And I would have to imagine that that, that affected some other players as well, correct? Yes, it affected, I think, Miguel Cabrera. Um, but the Tigers waived the insurance requirement for him, whereas the Dodgers didn't for Clayton Kershaw. Yeah, I know Miggy Cabrera is uh, very important to his country. I think that, that would have been a, an uproar if he wasn't allowed to play in his last classic there by everybody involved. So I'm glad the Tigers did that. But it would have been nice to see Kershaw. I mean, he's, he's arguably, you know, if not the best, one of the best pitchers of his generation. <coughs> Excuse me. And for us not to, I don't want to say Rob because it sounds entitled, but again, it's the best of the best out there. And when, country, when you're representing your country, there's nothing better. Been nice to see him out there uh, throwing that big hook. Hundred percent. Yeah. Um, so, would you would you like to jump to your your conclusion now, or do you have more you want to add? I think I think we've covered everything Great. on insurance. I learned a lot preparing for this pod, and I hope the listeners did too. Yeah, I think we have a, and this is uh, people may find this odd, but our audience is a very sophisticated baseball audience. They they understand the game, they understand the things around it. But what I love about our shows and what, I'm, what I've enjoyed about adding this show to our network is that our audience always claims they get smarter after the show. And I know I do. I take notes during every show. I know I get smarter. So I, I believe you, you definitely satisfied that today. There's an, there's an area of the game that um, I think you're bringing some, some new light to it. So with that, I know you have an interesting ending. And you, you chronicled our Coaching Kernan show with Kevin and I as he has the ending where he asks the guests, what does it mean to be a ball player? And you have a, a, a simple question, but for some people, a deep question, I think. And um, would you like me to introduce it to you? Do you want to introduce the question yourself? You go ahead, Dave. Okay, so so the, obviously we, we got top of the first to start the show. And so our audience gets used to the rhythm, the meat and potatoes. And now we've got the ending. And so my question to you is, what's something good to eat at a ball game for Kelly Franco Throop, for KFT? I think that was a great lead-in with the meat and potatoes. Um, I that was think by accident. <laughs> that was a-, a great thing to eat. I like to curl up on my couch and, and watch ball games, and I like to have something to enjoy while I watch a ball game. And today's what to eat while watching a ball game is a cheeseburger. And I like to make my own cheeseburgers, and this is how I do it. I always use 80% ground chuck. There's no ground sirloin for a cheeseburger. You need the fat because it gives you flavor. I like American cheese on my cheeseburger. There are plenty of times in life when I eat fancy cheese, 
But in my opinion, a cheeseburger deserves American cheese cut very thickly. And I put it on one of those supersized Thomas's English muffins. I toast it and I spread it with butter, pickles, and mustard. And I might pour tequila with that, Dave. I just might. I'll have to have uh, Coach Sal critique the the baseball menu each week afterwards, see what his thoughts. But I I know he would agree with the fat. Um, We've talked a lot about that on his show. So sounds sounds good. What kind of parting shots do you want to give our audience? Anything you want to leave them with today to lead them into the next show? Oh, I don't know. I'll have to uh, think about what makes the news over the next couple of weeks, and hopefully I can come up with something that they'll be interested in. But we have two interesting pitching notes coming up this week. One is that June 14th is the anniversary of Nolan Ryan pitching 235 pitches in a game on, I think it was June 14th, 1974, a game of the Angels against the Red Sox. One fascinating thing about that game is that Nolan Ryan pitched 235 pitches. Louis Tian, the game went 15 innings, 14 and a third innings. Louis Tian actually pitched a complete game. So I think that that's just a fascinating footnote to Nolan Ryan's 235 pitches. And then the next pitching note for this week is that June 15th is the anniversary of a dark day in Mets history when they traded Tom Seaver. So I'll have a video coming out on that on my Twitter handle at three inning fans. So hopefully your viewers, our viewers can see it. That'll be great. And I think that's something we'll want to leave the audience every week, maybe a little preview, a little tease on some dates, but uh, remind them again, how they can find you on Twitter, Instagram, and any other social mediums they can support you. Thanks, Dave. Twitter and Instagram. My handle is at three inning fan. Three is all spelled out. And I hope to see everybody there. Yeah. Well, thanks for a great first show. we got episode 203 on our network. We're closing in on 20,000 subscribers here. Um, but this was a date in October with KFT. Just a reminder to our audience, again, we appreciate you guys. You're so supportive to us. Uh, but to our almost 19,000 subscribers right now, hope to hit 20,000 by the end of the week. Download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review. Rate and review so we can battle the analytics of the podcast world just like we do in baseball. If you do that, we can keep providing you with great content like we do here every week and like we're doing now with our new show, A Date in October with KFT, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. You can stream us on. If you have a different one, let me know. I'll subscribe to that as well. Hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, or and Twitter, I should say. I get back to one guest every day on Facebook Live and the rest privately, and I do it by the end of the day religiously. 72 countries now, grassroots to MLB front offices. We've got the ear of the right people, and we're just trying to build a better baseball IQ out there. And I think today's show satisfied that. Um, with that, Kelly, I want to thank you for a great first show. Look forward to next week. Look forward to following you on, on Twitter and Instagram with your content. It's 90 seconds of pure gold, so continue to do that. Everybody appreciates it. But thanks for your great first show. Hope you enjoyed it. I really did, Dave. Talk to you soon. Okay, audience, have a great week.